The following is a presentation of Genesis. Genesis is a place where you are invited to begin, belong, and believe. To find out more, visit us on the web at genesisthejourney.com. Hey, welcome to uh, Genesis. If you're here for the first time, uh, my name is Michael. This is my most excellent wife, Kyla. Say hello. Hello. Um, and we are in the midst of uh, a series uh, called I Date, and this is actually the fourth Sunday, and uh, really it's uh, our last Sunday. Uh, next week, we are going to be doing something to, uh, called He Said, She Said, and uh, what we talk about is largely dependent on what you guys want to talk about. So uh, this week, uh, there's been maybe a handful, uh, a dozen or so people who have sent in questions to the He Said, She Said at GenesisTheJourney.com. Um, but we want to get flooded with your emails this week, and uh, we're going to take and answer uh, as many of the questions as we can, and actually save some time for you guys just to ask uh, and hit us up with questions as it relates to relationships and dating and marriage and engagement and how the whole thing works. So that would be next week, but tonight um, we are going to have a conversation called a lifelong conversation, and what does it mean to enter into and have a lifelong conversation with someone? So Um, Let me pray, and then we'll get started. God, you have been really good to us uh, uh, throughout this series, and so we just give you thanks. Um, And Father, we just ask uh, for one more time uh, that you would be good to us tonight in this place. And uh, Father, I know uh, a lot of people in here, this is uh, a future conversation um, uh, when it comes to marriage. Uh, There might be many in here who are years and years away from even thinking about that. So, Father, I pray that the things that your word would have to say and the things that we would share tonight uh, would last. And um, not our words, Lord, but your words, that um, uh, it would make a difference even on an issue in relationships that might not happen for years to come. And, Father, I pray that if there are folks here tonight, and I know there are, who are, have already said yes and entered into uh, a lifelong conversation called marriage, uh, that those marriages would be challenged that those marriages would be challenged to do things differently, uh, to do things better, uh, starting with my own marriage with Kyla, too. Uh, So, Lord, I just pray that you would do a great work tonight. Help us to hear uh, your voice um, and none others. And we trust you for that, and we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so tonight, a lifelong conversation. Now, um, we've done uh, Just Friends. We have did two weeks ago. Dating, not dating, dating again, and last week was uh, She Said Yes. Now, of all the talks that we've been most excited and most nervous about, it's this one, because this is where we're at, and uh, Kyle and I were just talking about this either late last night or early this morning. Um, It's hard giving a talk to a hundred so people when you feel pretty hypocritical that the things you're telling other people to do, you're not really mastering or doing with excellence yourself. And so we've been kind of excited about this because this is our story where we're living right now. But the things we're sharing with you guys, we're like, wow, that would be pretty amazing if we did some of these things as well. So uh, these are things we are hammering out in our own relationship right now. It's helpful for us to talk about it because it's how can I stand up here and say I should do this with my wife when my wife is looking at me and like, yeah, you know, that would be a good idea if you actually did some of that stuff. Uh, So this is a hard conversation for us because a lot of these things are fresh. We are literally learning these over the past few weeks or the past few months 
And certainly these things that God has been teaching us over the past 10 years that uh, Kyle and I have been in conversation uh, together or marriage uh, together. Um, Now, I know I'm big on the word conversation. I use it a lot. But when I think about marriage, uh, my marriage specifically with Kyla, we're in a conversation together. Um, And what I love about that is conversations change. She is not the person that I married 10 years ago. She's not the person I married 10 years ago. Even five years ago, she's so not the person that she was five years ago. She is just growing and God, I mean, it's just, and what I love about that is that I still don't even feel like I fully know Kyla Davis. The conversations have just changed and changed over the years. And the more I learn about my wife, Kyla, the more I love. And what's amazing is the more I want to know. Some people feel like it's, you know, they got uh, the shaft, so to speak. Well, I married this person. He's totally not the person he turned out to be or I thought he was going to be. I celebrate that. I mean, when, she, when, I, when I put a ring on her finger, I knew, she, as I said last week, she was going to be a woman that I would have to run to keep up with. And she has been. But she is not the person she was 10 years ago. And what I'm even excited about is 10, 20, 30 years from now, the conversations we'll be having together. Rob Bell is a pastor, author, and he asks uh, a really great question. He says, what do you believe about the human soul? Is it infinite, or can you get to the end of a person? Let me say that again. What do you believe about the human soul? Is it infinite, or can you get to the end of a person? Failure to understand the infinite depth of a human soul is often why people who are married have affairs. They stop exploring the person they are married to. I am excited as I think about 10, 20, 30 years from now, uh, what I will uncover as I continue to explore and seek to understand uh, the woman that God has allowed me to marry. And as you guys think about uh, marriage, I just, it's, a, it's a conversation that you are stepping into. And Lord willing, it should be and must be a lifelong conversation. Um, that you seek to get to know, to understand the person that God is fashioning and forming this person to be, excuse me, to be. Um, I said this last week, but I'll repeat it. Uh, You know, the problem is not that we don't have relationships with each other, is that they're often really just not that meaningful. And um, this is what we want to raise tonight. How do you have a meaningful relationship with your spouse? Some of you are spouses right now. Uh, So I hope this hits home. I hope it resonates. And some of you might be thinking maybe a year, two, five years down the road. How can you have a meaningful, not just a relationship. I don't want just a relationship with her. I want a relationship that matters, that makes a difference, that's meaningful. A conversation that is ever-changing, ever-growing, ever-seeking, ever-loving. And I'm thankful for 10 years that it has been that, and it's exciting to think what it will be. If you read in Genesis uh, chapter 2, verse 18, God's desire in relationship uh, for us is that we'd first be in relationship with him, but then God says something pretty amazing um, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. The Lord said, it's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. First time in uh, the Bible where you hear the word, it's not good, because You've heard six, seven times, it's good, it's good. God looked at it, it's good. God saw this, and it was good. But when he looked at man and saw that man was alone, he said, you know what? It is not good that man would be alone. 
Now, guys, before you get the wrong idea about this verse, you're like, yes, where is my helper? Um, I want you to know two quick things. Uh, when woman was not around, it wasn't good. Women, right? Anyone? No amens out of that one? Come on, ladies. Where were you? When women were not around, God said it's not good. Thank you. And number two, uh, women as helper does not mean slave. It does not mean like you just do your thing. And when you're ready for her, you need help. You take her out of the closet, she helps, and then you put her back. <laughs> that is not what God has to say when he's talking about uh, helper. Uh, God is essentially saying, without her, you're in trouble. Without her, your life is not going to make sense. Without her, you're not going to be able to fulfill all that God uh, has desired and purposed for you. What's amazing to me is that God even refers to himself, the creator of the universe, as our helper. A couple psalms I share with you. This is uh, Psalm 33. We wait and hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. Same word that's used as helper, uh, as God creates a helper for Adam, the same word that God refers to himself. He is our help, our shield. In Psalm 89, yet I am poor and I am needy. Come quickly to me, O God. You are my help and my deliverer. O Lord, do not delay. The marriage story, or how God fashioned purpose relationship, continues in Genesis chapter 2, verse 20. And this is, uh, do we have that? We do. So the story, God says, Adam, it's not good for you to be alone. So I'm going to take care of that. I'm going to create someone for you who will walk through life with you, who will journey through life with you, who you will be able to have a lifelong conversation with. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, and while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. And for this reason, a man will leave his father and his mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Now, the thing that I really love about that verse, you could spend weeks and weeks teaching on that, so I'm not going to. I'm going to point out my favorite thing about the verse. The man and his wife were both naked, (laughs) and they felt... Okay, now the guys are saying amen to that. They were naked, and they felt no shame. I want to tell you, nakedness is the point. And let me explain that because some of you are like, wow, what did I step into tonight? (laughs) Uh, Again, I was uh, reading some stuff from Rod Bell, and uh, he raises uh, another great point. Anyone can take their clothes off and have sex. Any one of us in here can strip down, get naked, and have sex. He goes on to say, but to be naked before someone in soul and spirit, allowing them into your thoughts your hopes, your dreams, your fears, that's what it means to be naked. No shame, no embarrassment, no covering up, no pretending, no masks. Total acceptance of each other. Isn't that what you want? Being naked does not have to do with taking off our, our outer clothing. 
being naked actually has more to do with revealing to someone uh, who you really uh, are. As I think about uh, Kyla, she's seen the dark sides of my heart. She's absolutely seen some of my bad habits and how some of my bad, bad habits uh, have impacted her. Things that I've done that I've regretted or shortcomings. Um, she has absolutely seen me naked. And yet she still hangs around. She still loves me. And I, I'm not saying naked physically. She has seen everything about me, the worst and the best. And she says, wow, I still want to be with you. That's why nakedness is the point. Intimacy is um, a word that we often talk about intimacy and people we long for intimacy and um, Sometimes people think of intimacy more in terms of sex. When you're having sex with someone, you're being physical, you have an intimate relationship with that person. Um, Genesis 4.1 uh, says this, Adam lay with his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. Now, the word lay there, uh, yes, it does mean that they had sex because she became pregnant as a result of that. But what I love about the word lay there is, um, how many Seinfeld fans do we have in here? Okay, don't be embarrassed. I know you think you're in church and you can't be proud of watching Seinfeld. <laughs> All right, there was a great, funny, maybe not so funny or not so great, to be careful when I say that, uh, episode, the yada yada episode. Okay, yada is the Hebrew word for intimacy. And so in the Seinfeld episode where they're talking about sex and you yada yada over the sex part, uh, what the Hebrew word yada is, it means intimacy. And I wanted to read to you what intimacy or yada in Hebrew culture understanding means. Now, this is where we get the word intimacy, to be intimate with someone, to observe, to realize, to find out, to recognize, perceive, care about, become acquainted with, have sexual relations with, come to understand, to know, to have insight, to reveal yourself, to be noticed, and to become known. That's what intimacy means. Yes, part of intimacy is uh, physical, having sex with someone, being intimate in that way. Bless you. But it is so much more than just that. In my lifelong conversation with Kyla, our intimacy is only growing and growing over the years, meaning that she knows things about me that no one else in the entire world knows. And that's the way it's supposed to be. I know things about her that no one else in this entire planet has any clue as to those things. That's just for us. Part of the problem is it's really sad is we give, ourselves, we give parts of ourselves away to, um, to people that don't deserve to be intimate with. Does that make sense? We give our intimacy. We let people know things about us that are just really not uh, meant for more than your spouse to really know. And we give pieces and parts of ourselves away. Uh, I love being intimate with Kyla. And I love that she knows me completely, and she says, I still love you. <coughs> I still love you. Um, Jesus uh, has a conversation um, with a bunch of religious people on the issue of marriage. And uh, they ask him uh, a really tough question that many people are asking in today's culture. This is in Matthew 19. Some Pharisees came to him to test him, and they asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? 
Is it lawful for you to break the lifelong conversation? Is it lawful for you to bail on the marriage vows that you have taken? And then he goes on, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? And Jesus answers, haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the creator made them male and female, and he said, for this reason a man will leave his father, his mother, and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. Jesus takes them all the way back to creation. This is an argument from creation, meaning any argument from creation trumps all other arguments because it's from the beginning. That is the trump argument right there because they can't go back any further than the point of creation, meaning God designed, purpose, planned, fashioned marriage to be this way. Then we got involved and messed the whole thing up. They go on to ask Jesus, well, why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man would give a certificate of divorce and send her away? And Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. Moses, uh, I'm not going to take the whole time to explain this, but the reason in Deuteronomy 24, if you want to take a look at this, uh, Moses was protecting women in the culture because men, if they were at all displeased with their wives, I mean they were not attracted to them anymore, they cooked a bad meal, uh, they said something they didn't like, the guy could say, I'm done with you. You are displeasing to me. And so as a way to protect women from just being thrown out as pieces of property as they were often treated, Moses permitted people to divorce. And Jesus says, uh, but don't miss the point. It was because your hearts became utterly hard. A hard heart towards God only results in a hard heart uh, towards uh, your spouse. Uh, so tonight, we are really going to stick with uh, two questions of um, uh, if you're going to have um, a lifelong conversation that is actually meaningful, uh, two things need to happen. And the first one is this, uh, that you would guard your heart towards God. Jesus' response was, you got hard hearts. You want to know why your marriages aren't working? Check your heart. You want to know why the conversation just doesn't make sense anymore? It's not meaningful. It's not very interesting. You got a hard heart. And if your heart is hard towards God, man, I feel bad for the person that is in conversation with you because you will be a, a wreck to them. So the first thing that we share with you, uh, a couple points under this, is how do you protect your heart from growing hard towards God? And uh, three things. One real quick is uh, cultivate a spiritual life together. I knew how to walk with God before I met Kyla. I did not know how to walk with God when I said yes and uh, we entered into uh, a marriage relationship together. I would venture to say this has been the most difficult. Is that fair? Yeah. Oh, you didn't have to say it so quickly. <laughs> you could have thought about it there for a minute. <laughs> Maybe said, like, let me pray about it, and then I'll get back to you on that. That would have been a spiritual thing to say. Okay. Um, we've had a difficult time cultivating our spiritual life together. When I talk about our spiritual life, I'm not just talking about reading your Bible together. I'm not just talking about praying and serving. But allowing your spouse to enter into that, that place where it was just you and God before. And there, don't get me wrong. If you're married, there's still, you still walk with God. You have your relationship with God. But we're one. 
I want her to come into that space where it's me and God. Because her on the outside, it's just, it's no good. If you are not cultivating your spiritual life now, don't expect marriage to help that. Like, if you're not cultivating your spiritual life of spending time in God's Word or spending time in prayer or spending time serving, don't think that when you get a ring on someone's finger, then, then you'll be able to do that together. You won't. You absolutely will not be able to. It will actually only get worse. So as a, as a married couple, please, if you are married, and if one day you will get married, please remember, if you want to guard your heart from going hard towards God, cultivate a spiritual life together. And don't just read your Bible. Anyone can do that. Live out what the Bible says together. Don't just pray. Anyone can pray. Live a life of prayer together. Another th- way to uh, protect your heart from growing hard towards God is to, um, to seek to be completely satisfied in God alone, to keep God as your first love. And um, I wanted to talk about this point not because I have it mastered. In fact, I feel like this is something that God is hitting me over with the head with all the time, that I need to be seeking him first. He needs to be my first love. Um, when we are completely satisfied in God alone, Anything that we receive from our spouse will be like extra, a bonus, you know, like icing on the cake. It takes the pressure off of your spouse when you're having your needs met in the Lord. Um, you know, God, if God has given you the gift of a spouse or a partner for life, this is a huge blessing. It's somebody who compliments you, someone who makes you better. But your spouse is never intended to take the place of God in your life. Um, your spouse may be the most perfect person in the world for you, but no one will ever love you the way God does. No one will ever understand you completely. Um, no one will ever just love you with the same type of love. Michael is an awesome, amazing, wonderful husband, but he cannot love me the way that God does. God's love is completely unconditional and unchanging, and he, um, he delights in us. He longs to be with us. He alone is the one who can meet all of our needs. Um, so if we're seeking God and loving him as our first love, he will satisfy our hearts. He'll satisfy the needs of our hearts. And if our needs are being met in the Lord, it takes the pressure off of your spouse and it frees them up and actually enables them to love you more. Um, my favorite psalm, I think I've already talked about it a couple times, is Psalm 63. And uh, Psalm 63 verses 3 through 5 says this. This is David. Uh, and he's writing about the Lord, and he says, Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. And this is just such an awesome picture of someone being satisfied in the Lord. David was satisfied um, in his relationship with God, and um, he understood that God's love is better than life. It's better than any other love. Um, Michael's love is awesome, but God's love is what, uh, what I truly, truly need in my heart. Um, so we need to, to keep our heart from growing hard towards God. We need to run to him with our needs, and we need to not dump them all on our spouse. Um, God may choose to use our spouse to meet needs in our lives, but it's so much better if we allow God to prompt our spouse to meet those needs rather than us pressuring them to do so. Going to God first instead of to your spouse to have your needs met takes faith and trust. I mean, let's face it, God is invisible, and people are visible. So it's no wonder that we run 
to people. We turn to people first and expect them to meet our needs. We can see them, we can touch them, we can hear their voice and talk to them. Um, so it takes faith to, to really trust God to meet your needs. Um, but until we let God meet our deepest relational needs, we will continue to be disappointed. There is no human relationship, even the most wonderful marriage, there is no human relationship that will ever totally fill the void that God has placed in your heart because he made that spot for himself. Now, I'm not, I don't mean to say, and I'm not saying, um, not to communicate your needs to your spouse, only to tell God about them, but um, I think we should present our needs, our relational needs to the Lord first because I'm guessing that a lot of times some of the things we say we need or we really feel that we need from our spouse are really things that only God can really give us. And if we are expecting our spouse to meet all of our relational or emotional needs, um, we're setting ourselves up for disappointment and we're putting pressure on our spouse to do something they can never do and to be someone that they can never be. Um, another verse I wanted to share is John 15, verses 4 through 5. This is Jesus speaking, and he says, Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You know, for me, the most loving thing I can do as a wife is to love God with all my heart. To totally abide in him and allow him to meet all my needs. As, I, as a wife, as you grow in your relationship with Christ, it will benefit your husband and it will benefit your marriage. Um, you'll, be, you'll be bearing fruit. You'll be f- growing and becoming more and more Christ-like. And so that will benefit um, your relationship with your spouse. When you're abiding in Christ and seeking God, listening to his voice and responding to him, he'll prompt you to do things to meet needs of your spouse. Um, and this, at the same time, as your husband is doing that, it'll, God will use um, that relationship, your vertical relationship with God, to prompt you to do things in your horizontal relationship to meet your spouse's needs. Um, and if you're loving God with all your heart and abiding in him and your soul is satisfied in him, you will be a joy to be around. Not because you're going to be happy all the time. Being a Christian and abiding in Christ doesn't, doesn't make you happy all the time. You still have problems and struggles, but you will be reflecting God. And you'll be bearing fruit, and uh, the fruit that they talked about when you abide in Christ. And um, in Galatians 5.22, it talks about what that fruit looks like. And it's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and I missed one, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And if you are producing those kinds of things in your life, and your spouses too, I mean, that is a marriage that's bound to succeed. Hmm. One of uh, the best things about this gig is I get to marry people. And... Um, it's been uh, Perform awesome. Perform the marriage. He only married one. Yes. <laughs> I currently am in only one relation, lifelong conversation with someone. Um, perform the wedding ceremony. And uh, it is absolutely awesome uh, being able to have the best view in the entire house and watching uh, couples as they take vows and the goofy looks that no one else can see, and I'm looking at them like, wow, if the photographer could get this angle, it would be awesome. Um, But one of the things that I've challenged every single couple that I've ever been able to marry uh, uh, was this. Man, never forget your first love. Never, ever forget who your first love is. And if your first love is Jesus Christ, watch out for the way you will be able to love your spouse. The more you love Christ, the more you will absolutely love your spouse. 
That's uh, Revelation 2.4. Jesus is talking to a church. He says, you're doing some good things, but you've neglected your first love. You've forgotten. You have forsaken your first love. In marriage relationship, don't ever forget who your first love is. And it's uh, Jesus Christ. This one I'm uh, excited to talk about. Uh, this is the, the third one under how do you guard your heart towards um, growing hard towards God. Spur one another on towards greater faith. Uh, I need to spur her on to live a more noble life. I need to spur, encourage, challenge Kyla not to ever live beneath her God-given potential. God, forgive me if I ever get in her way of fulfilling the dreams that God has placed in her heart. God, forgive me if I have ever gotten in the way of allowing Kyla to fulfill the passions uh, and the desires and the plans that God has for her. As a spouse, never allow your spouse, please hear this and hear it really clear, never allow your spouse to live beneath God's call, God's plan, God's will for their life just so your life might be a little bit more comfortable, a little bit easier. Spur your spouse to live a more noble lifestyle. Um, Definitely, I can see in my life how my faith uh, in the Lord has been challenged by my relationship with Michael. In the times that we've been married there, I can think of tons of examples of times where he's encouraged me to trust God more or... um, to trust God for all kinds of things, for God to provide us cars and money and things like that, that Michael's encouraged me to step out in faith and trust God. Okay, I'm not God like the things. materialistic, you know. Those I were just, just examples money. I thought. Yeah, okay. <laughs> want to clarify. Well, one of the examples I thought of, um, a time where Michael really encouraged me to step out in faith and trust the Lord. Um, after we'd been married about four years, God clearly called Michael to go to seminary. We lived in Ohio at the time, and um, he was called to go to seminary in Chicago. And um, we knew God had called us there beyond a shadow of a doubt, and we um, trusted, at least I was trying to trust, that he would provide for us once we got there. Um, it was around Christmas time, and we were supposed to, Michael was supposed to start school at the beginning of January. I was supposed to start my new job that God had provided uh, at the beginning of January. And, but it's now after Christmas, and we have nowhere to live. And we're moving to Chicago in like five days, and we still have nowhere to live. And I'm trying to trust, but, you Isn't know, that exciting? No, it's nerve-wracking. <laughs> and um, that's what Michael was saying. Isn't this exciting? God's going to provide. And I'm like, yeah, that's great. I want a house. Um, I mean, we've got everything packed up, and where are we going to take it? We have nowhere to go. Um, so it's right after Christmas, and um, I kept pushing Michael. We've got to go back up to Chicago one more time and look for a place. The reason we were having such a hard time finding a place to live was because, um, mainly because of our dog. We had a dog, Meshach, our beloved Meshach. And... Um, Oh, we got all sad. He just passed away. It's so sad. Anyway, um, but a lot of places, you know, as a renter, they don't allow you to have dogs. And Chicago is very pricey, as as is Boston. Um, probably Boston is more so. But we were having a hard time finding a place we could afford and that would take a dog. So we'd already looked and couldn't find anything. It's now, you know, four or five days from our move. I'm insisting that we drive from Indianapolis, where we were at my parents' house, to, to go to Chicago to look for a place to live. There's a huge snowstorm. My mom's ahead of us on the road going somewhere north um, as well. She gets in a car accident. All these things are probably God telling me, Kyla, today is not the day to go to Chicago and find a house. But I insisted that we go, and so Michael said, all right, and we went. And uh, we looked all day, and it's now it's time to come home, and we're at the last place, and I'm, we, we just need a place to live. 
put the deposit down. They'll let us take the dog. It was a small apartment. It wasn't anywhere near where we wanted to live, but it was a, we could afford it, barely, and it would allow a dog. So we put a deposit down, and we're driving home, and I'm at some level feeling a little, you know, we've got a lease. We've got a place to live. Good. Um, and Michael's like, nope, this isn't right. This isn't right. And he calls him back and tells him to rip up the deposit check. And I'm like, okay, that's great. Now we have nowhere to live again. Um, but he just kept encouraging me, Kyla, we've just got to trust that God's going to provide. And we just need to pray and pray specifically about what we want God to do. And so he just kept encouraging me to trust him. And so we did move to Chicago with nowhere to live. We lived temporarily in some friend's house. It was a two-hour, one-way commute for me to work by car, train, and then walking. And so after about... Um, I think it was like 10 days of that, I came home one night from work, you know, after the two-hour drive home and train and walking, and I sat down at the dinner table and basically told Michael that I was going to die if we did not have a place to live. I can sometimes be dramatic, but um, that we had to find a place to live that was not two hours away from everything. And um, so the next day, Michael went to school, and before class started, he, you know, um, the teacher asked for prayer requests and he said yeah you know my wife's gonna die if we don't find a place so <laughs> can you just pray that we'll find a place to live and you know by the end of that class a guy came up to him and said hey you should call this number my friends knows of a house uh, that needs to be rented we met went to the house that night and it was exactly it was perfect it was God's answer to our prayers Michael had encouraged us all along the way to pray specifically for what we wanted so we've been praying for three things the first thing we had been praying for is that it would be centrally located between his school and my work. So we map quested directions to the house and it was 7.1 miles from Michael's school and 7.2 miles from my work. So God hooked us up there, that was cool. And uh, the second thing was that it would take, they would take a dog and this lady, the landlord, loved dogs. Like after we decided to move in, she had her carpenter guy come out and build a fenced-in area dog run for Meshach. Um, so that was awesome. And then the third thing we'd been praying about was um, that the rent would be affordable, but even that we'd have an opportunity to, you know, do work for the landlord to work down the rent. And we were totally able to do that the whole time. So God provided everything. And had, um, and on top of that, it was a super cute house. Hardwood floors, old farmhouse, and it was a great house. And... Um, <laughs> Uh, but I would have missed out on all of that if Michael had not been spurring me on to have greater faith and to trust the Lord. And, um, you know, that's just one example, but that's something he does all the time is spur me on to have greater faith. Yeah, I hope you guys will remember that point. Um, never allow your spouse, if you're married now, man, ask yourself that question. Are you spurring your spouse on to live a more noble lifestyle? Are you spurring them on to live up to their God-given potential? And it's not just me. Is Kyla doing that for me? It's am I doing that for her? Am I allowing and freeing and challenging and encouraging her uh, to say, man, God has given you this. Operate out of that. And uh, please remember, uh, spur your, your partner, your spouse, onto a more noble lifestyle. Um, we want to uh, finish up, hopefully, with some quick points of um, if you're going to guard your heart towards God, uh, so you will have a healthy, meaningful, lifelong conversation. Those three things that we just pointed out. Uh, but if you want to continue to have a healthy, meaningful, lifelong conversation, um, there's the second point you have to do is guard the oneness of your marriage. 
um, again, in reading one of Rob's Bell, uh, Rob Bell's books, he described uh, a marriage in these, in these terms. And these, this language will sound very familiar. Broken, shattered, split up, separated, divorced, distant, picking up the pieces of what remains. Like if you, that's kind of the marriage conversation happening ar- around us. Those are the adjectives being describing uh, marriages. You don't really hear too many marriages being described as, you know, they are one with each other. Like where is the oneness of marriage? And that's what God says. You are to experience oneness with her and with me, the oneness of your marriage. So guard the oneness of uh, your marriage. Um, and please remember that um, your marriage says an awful lot about God. Your marriage is a, a picture, a portrait of who God is in your life and who God is in your marriage. And unfortunately, a lot of people who have no idea who God is look at people who uh, claim to know God, and they're like, your marriage looks absolutely no different than mine. Absolutely no different. Why would I want to put my trust, my hope, my faith, center my life around a God who is making apparently no difference in your marriage? Guard the oneness of your marriage. Uh, it talks about that in Genesis 2.18, they became, or 2.25, I think. Uh, they became one flesh. Guard that oneness. And some, uh, hopefully some very practical, this is, hopefully all of this is going to be very practical, things to uh, live out now and things to remember. Uh, the first one is this. Would you be gracious to one another? If you're going to have a marriage that actually works, uh, be gracious, be kind, be compassionate. Uh, Colossians 3.12 and 14 says this. Um, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy, dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Bear with each other. Forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all of these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect, uh, perfect unity. Um, be gracious. Be absolutely gracious to the one that you are in a lifelong conversation with. Nine words that someone once challenged me with uh, to remember uh, is, I'm sorry, I was wrong, will you please forgive me? Maybe that's ten. I'm wrong, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? And the sad thing is, I'm not great at saying that. I mean, who wants to go around saying that? I'm sorry, I was wrong, please forgive me. (laughs) Why? Because you've got to suck up a lot of pride. I'm not sorry. I wasn't wrong. Actually, you were wrong. Is that the kind of marriage you want to have? Or do you want to have one that's absolutely gracious? Can you imagine if God treated you like that? <laughs> Forgive as Christ has forgiven you. And, it, I mean, absolutely serious? How dare I not forgive her? Because God sometimes will, will look at me and be like, are you serious? Do I need to list out all the things that I have forgiven you of and you can't forgive or overlook that? Are you that arrogant? Are you that prideful? Do you think that much of yourself? If it's going to work, be gracious, be kind, be compassionate. And keep short accounts. Um, you, I'm yes. sure everybody's heard the... Uh, the old marriage advice that says, you know, don't go to bed mad or angry or whatever. 
Um, the Bible says it this way. It's Ephesians 4, uh, verse 26 and 27. says, In your anger do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Now, the idea isn't just to talk about all your problems right before you fall asleep, you know, and get it all hashed out. And sometimes that's not going to happen. I mean, it would be great to, in that day, deal with all the issues of that day. But sometimes it's just not going to work that way. You're not in a place to resolve all those issues. But before the day ends, you do need to at least acknowledge them and say, hey, I know that, you know, um, we've got some issues that we've got to work out about this. We can't do it right now. We need some time to process, but, you know, we're going to. It's we've got issues. It's not you've got issues. (laughs) (laughs) But we're going to, you know, we're going to address this. At least talk about that there is an issue um, before the sun goes down. But it's kind of, um, the idea really is just not to let all these issues pile up. You have to deal with them, and deal with them, keep short accounts, deal with problems when they're small because they don't go away. It's kind of like um, just, you know, dirty dishes in your sink. You go at nighttime, it's late, and you don't want to do your dishes. And so you leave them there, and you wake up the next morning, and there they are, and they're still dirty, and you have to wash them, and now they're crusty and hard to get the dirt off. And it's kind of, even if you let them soak, which is no my one favorite knows what thing. she's talking about. So <laughs> i got to let that one soak, you know. that's It never really works. But um, you've got... You, you have to deal with things as they're when, when they're small because problems don't go away if they're ignored. They just get bigger, and they resurface later in some full-blown conflict. Um, and leaving conflict unresolved separates you and your spouse, and it leaves an open door um, for Satan to attack your marriage. There is nothing Satan wants more than to um, attack a godly marriage and to, uh, to cause you to fall and to separate you. So something that goes along with keeping short accounts is apologize often. When you are married, there will be plenty to apologize for. There just will be. Um, And there are some notes here that I have on apologies. Um, Well, Michael already talked about it, that it involves humility. It means that you're saying that you're wrong. There's no really no room for pride in that. Proverbs 11, 2 says, When pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with humility comes wisdom. Proverbs 13.10 says that pride only breeds quarrels, but wisdom is found in those who take advice. You know, if you haven't said you're sorry to your spouse in a while, it's probably because you haven't, not because you haven't been wrong in a while, but it's because you're prideful. It's a good bet that in every single conflict that you have, there is something that you can apologize for, whether it's for how you responded or, you know, something you did. doesn't matter. It's a good uh, bet that within every single argument or disagreement you have, there's something that you can apologize for. Um, but if your apology is qualified with a but, um, it's not an apology. You know, when you say, I'm, I'm sorry I responded that way, but if you hadn't done that, I wouldn't have said that. <laughs> you know, what you're really saying is, you know, I may have done something that was a little bit wrong, but it's not as wrong as what you did. And um, it's actually your fault because, uh, so if you're using the word but in your apology, it is no longer an apology. Um, So you might as well just stop. Uh, You're just justifying your actions. You're not really sorry for them. And the other thing is that uh, a lot of times uh, you can apologize too soon. You know, there is uh, such a thing as apologizing too soon. The conflict happens and right away you throw an I'm sorry on there just because you're trying to avoid the discomfort. You want to end the discomfort. You want to, you know, just put a Band-Aid on it and make this thing go away. So you just throw out an apology before there's any even real sorrow or repentance or thought to what you're saying. And um, your spouse will not be fooled by that. They'll see through the, uh, 
Damn sorry. Um, I love you. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, the third one, or the second one, is um, in terms of protecting oneness, be gracious. Uh, the second one is cultivate a friendship. Uh, never stop being friends with the one that you're in conversation with. Uh, she's not just the one I'm married. She's my friend. She's my best friend. Uh, I love how Solomon said it. I shared it last week. Here's my lover. Here's my friend. Uh, never stop cultivating a friendship uh, with the one that uh, is your spouse, the one that you've decided to be in a lifelong uh, conversation with. And don't just spend time together. Invest in time together. There's a difference. Spending time is wasteful, usually. Uh, be intentional or invest in the type of, uh, the kind of time uh, that you will spend together. And uh, I have not been great at this, uh, but be creative in the way that you invest uh, in your friendship. Uh, I mean, have fun. Be creative with the things that you do. Be shocking. Surprise. Um, I won't share any stories on that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Maybe we could do that this week and next week you could share a story. Yes. Okay. Um, one thing that Michael <laughs> talks about a lot. <laughs> like a l- anyways <laughs> um, one thing that um, this is kind of language if you guys can Michael hear the uses. conversations we have at home after we leave here it's be- anyways um, be your spouse's greatest fan that's kind of Michael has always commented on that in our marriage that we need to be each other's greatest fan that we need to praise and compliment e- compliment each other encourage each other both publicly and privately um, support them in their dreams and in the things that they want to do. Michael is a really great cheerleader for me. He's always encouraging me, especially in things like caring for our children and things like that. He's always encouraging me and giving me positive feedback and um, just believing in me. And, uh, and now the thing with Michael is that he is a dreamer and I am a realist. So this poses a challenge for me because I need to be a fan. I need to be his biggest fan and support and cheerlead his dreams. But I'm a realist, so I hear his dreams, and my first instinct is to point out all the ways that this is not going to work. This is, impo- <laughs> this is not realistic. And so that is my tendency. And so for me, the biggest challenge, the way that I really need to work on being his biggest fan is, as he puts it, to not pee on his dreams. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm working on not peeing on the dreams. Um, uh, so I need to share his excitement and get fired up about the things he's fired up about and the things he's passionate about. Um, sometimes it's even meant me encouraging him in his dreams that I haven't always really believed in or thought were best. Um, like the time that he wanted to pursue his dream, lifelong dream of growing out his hair really long. I don't mean just growing it out a little bit. Do you have the shot of just our wedding one? For- oh, that's it. Fabio. <laughs> I wasn't a fan of this dream, (laughs) but I had to encourage it one time. I've encouraged it one time. I I don't know that I will go for a second round, but you got to encourage your spouse's dreams. I, we should just pray, call it a night. All right, enough of the picture. Bye bye. (laughs) Um, Okay. Next one, um, and this is, uh, uh, all of these are important, so I keep saying this one's really important, but um, this one really is important. Um, use your words carefully. Um, uh, 
carefully, not carelessly. Um, man, words can either um, build up or they can kill. Uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm going to venture to say all of us in here have been killed by someone's words, and you know how hurtful uh, they can be. Uh, Jesus speaks to uh, our words in Matthew chapter 12. Uh, For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So if someone is saying something to you, it's not just their words. Something's happening in here. It's not just a mouth problem. It's not that you have a verbal, um, what's that called? Yeah. I don't know if that's it, but okay. (laughs) Overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good man brings uh, the good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him, and the evil man brings evil thoughts out of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you that men will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. Like I get chills when I think about giving an account on the day of judgment for every careless word that I have spoken, not only to anyone in here, but especially to her. Will you use your words to bring life, to bring encouragement, to bring love, not to tear your spouse down? Um, these are, this is a very random list um, that I want to rem- encourage you or challenge you to remember four things about words. Um, First and most important one, never say, I hate you. First of all, that's just a rule of thumb in life. Never tell someone, I hate you. What is that? What is going on in your heart that you would look another human being in the eye and say, I hate you? I mean, what happened to, I mean, is your heart that hard, so angry, so bitter that those words would come out? I'm thankful that in 10 years of marriage, I've never spoken those words to Kyla. And she has never spoken those words to me. But I've, I've heard it spoken before. Please, never, ever say, I hate you. This is a, a very random thing uh, when I'm thinking about words. I remember my mom told me this before I got married. She said, Michael, uh, never, ever talk about your sex life with someone else besides your spouse. And I was like, that's weird, Mom. Why are you telling me this? (laughs) Kind of uncomfortable. If you knew my mom, she doesn't talk about things like that. And it was just, she came out and said that. And as I was married, I've honored that. I've never spoken about our sex life with anyone else, ever. But unfortunately, I hear guys use words sometimes. um, And it's like, man, why are you talking about your wife like that? I had this one friend, uh, this was now, I don't know, eight years ago, and I finally had to tell him, shut up, I'm not interested in hearing about uh, his sexual relationship with his wife because it made me look different at his wife. Guys, never talk about your sex life with your buddies. Women, never talk about your sex life with your husband. Of I wish he was this, I wish he'd do this, and blah, blah, blah. That's the intimacy of your marriage. Protect the oneness uh, of your marriage uh, when it comes to your words. Uh, another thing is to speak your spouse's language when you use words. Um, one, of, one thing that you need to do every day is to tell your spouse that you love them. It just should be something that you do every day. But there are also lots of ways to communicate love. 
but if you aren't communicating in a way that's meaningful to your spouse, um, it's not going to have the same effect. There's a book that's back on the back table you've probably heard about. Uh, I think it's Gary Chapman's book, uh, The Five Love Languages. And you need to learn your spouse's love language. What communicates love to them? Michael is, um, he, he is definitely encouraged and feels loved by words of affirmation. And that so is not. So bring them on, people. That's not my love language at all. So it's hard for me. Um, you know, I can look at someone or look even at just Michael and think, wow, they're so great. But to like verbalize what is great about someone is hard for me. And, but I love Michael and I want him to know that I care about him. So I need to learn and I need to work at and find ways to affirm him with my words and um, encourage him with my words. So you need to not just say I love you, but say it in a way that um, really speaks that to your spouse. The other thing is uh, another way to protect the oneness of your marriage is to believe the best in your spouse. You know, when uh, your spouse, or this is a good rule of thumb just for relationships in general, but, um, you know, when someone's done something hurtful or inconsiderate or even just annoying, choose to believe the best in that person. You know, that might mean choosing to believe that, okay, maybe they didn't, they didn't think before they acted, or maybe they didn't really mean it that way, or maybe they're having a bad day and there's something else that's going on besides uh, what's happening in our conflict. Choose to believe the best that they weren't trying to hurt you. Usually we're so consumed with our own hurt over an issue um, that all we want to see is how it affects us. We only are looking at ourselves. We're not putting ourselves in the other person's shoes and maybe having some empathy for what's going on in their lives. Um, so choose to believe the best in your spouse. They are not your enemy. Mm. Especially when you're married, this is your partner. This is your life partner, your best friend. Um, give them the benefit of the doubt. I mean, I can't even count how many times, how many arguments or fights could have been avoided in our marriage if we'd just chosen to believe the best in one another. Um, and believing in your, the best in your spouse comes a lot more easily when you make it a practice to focus on the positive things about your spouse. Um, especially when you're going through a time of conflict, um, it's easy to get focused on negative things, the things are, that are hurting you, the things that are annoying you, the things that are um, you know, causing the conflict. But start thinking about um, the things that are positive about the, your spouse, the things that you fell in love with in the first place. Um, you know, start being thankful for your spouse. Um, stop being so critical. Just be thankful and practice gratitude. Start listening and, and praying and thanking the Lord for the things that you love in your spouse and focus on those things. And if you're sitting there and you're thinking, well, there's nothing good about my spouse to think about, well, then the problem is most likely with you. And you need to spend time with the Lord really looking at yourself, looking in a mirror of yourself. Uh, the last two, we're going to fly through these uh, quickly, uh, not because they're not important, but we're running out uh, of time, is uh, decide to be faithful now. Um, decide to be faithful now. And let me uh, really um, speak to uh, probably more so uh, the guys uh, on this issue. Uh, make the decision now, even if you're not married. If you're married, be faithful. Uh, but even if you're not married, start living uh, a faithful lifestyle right now, thinking in terms of uh, the future, uh, whoever, uh, that you are going to spend uh, in a lifelong conversation with. Start practicing faithfulness now. Uh, so the time that you spend with girls because you like girls liking you and it makes you feel good about yourself and all of those, all of those things, uh, guys who are that way now don't think that when you get married that will be less. 
And it, just so you know, it doesn't work in marriage when you want to be friends with all these girls and you like these girls liking you. Just so you know, your wife probably is not going to like that. Um, so practice a lifestyle of being faithful uh, now. Uh, and this one's pretty personal, uh, not just to me, but to a lot of guys in here. Protect your purity right now. I knew, uh, I've heard this before, I said it myself, when I get married, I get to have sex whenever I want. I'll never struggle with things like looking at pornography. I'll never struggle with things like masturbation. I'll never struggle with any of these things that I have in my life right now because I'm married, and marriage is just 24 hours of endless sex, (laughs) right? I mean, that's what marriage is. Guys who are investing in those things now, uh, sexual sin, you name it, whatever it is, if you think that when you're married that it just goes away, let me tell you it doesn't. It absolutely does not. Why? Because it's nothing but habitual. You've practiced this for a lifetime. And just because you do have sex doesn't mean that those things become less. Actually, they might increase. So make a decision to start living a faithful lifestyle now. Faithful in purity, faithful in the way that you're interacting and treating uh, other women uh, as well. And another thought on just being faithful is keeping your relationship with your spouse as first priority. I mean, your relationship with the Lord needs to be the first priority, but after that it needs to be the relationship with your spouse. And anything that's taking that spot in your life is really like an extramarital affair. You know, it might be, um, it's a threat to your oneness. It could be things like, it could be people, it could be friends, it could be career, it could be children, it could be materialism, activities, hobbies. Um, You know, I think for a lot of guys, men struggle probably more commonly with a career affair, that they, men innately get some, get a sense of self-worth from their jobs, from the things that they uh, do for a living. And if they're good at it, you know, they, they, they receive praise, they've received promotions, um, positive feedback from other people at work. So it's easy to allow that, the job, the, the, um, whatever you're doing to earn a living, to um, take priority over your marriage relationship. But when that happens, then the wife feels frustrated and hurt. And so um, it just starts this circle. She's less likely to praise her husband, and she's more frustrated with him. She's less likely to show him respect. So in turn, he turns even further towards his job to get those types of uh, needs met. And so it just creates this downward spiral. So you need to keep your relationship with your spouse's first priority. Um, last one that uh, we'll share with you guys uh, is this. And I really like um, this one. Okay, I like all of them. Um, last one is this. Uh, have a missional marriage. What's the point of having anything else but uh, being on mission together? I love that as... Um, uh, Kyle and I uh, and our three kids, Tristan, Riley, and Caden, we're on mission together. We're not just kind of wandering through. We are on mission together. And right now, our heart, our love, our passion, our hopes, our dreams uh, is making a difference here in the city of Boston. Being part of reaching a generation uh, with the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is our mission that God's called us to right now in this season of our life. Could that change five years from now? Absolutely. But you know what? We're going to be on mission together. So many marriages are just aimlessly just wandering and wandering, and they're not on mission together. And as I think about the title, entering into a lifelong conversation, 
You know why most lifelong conversations hit a standstill or there's silence? Because there's just nothing more to talk about because they're not on mission together. And a lot of married couples just spend more time talking about where they're going to live and how they're going to decorate their house and, you know, where their kids are going to go to school and what movies they're going to rent from Blockbuster and blah, blah, blah. If that's your conversations, if that's your only conversations, I should say, you're going to run out of things to talk about real soon. As you guys are in marriage, some of you, uh, are you on mission together? Are you on a mission together? Can I just tell you that God wants nothing less than for you to be on mission together with what his plans, his purpose, his designs are for the both of you? Remember what God said to Adam. Adam, alone, you're not much. You're not much. Without Kyla, I'm nothing. I am excited that God has raised her up in my life to come alongside us together and that we can be on mission together. As you think about being in relationship, a lifelong conversation, would you always keep in mind, what's our mission? God, we are giving ourselves over to your mission, to your plan, your purposes, your call, not just settling for the ways of this world, which are, gets kind of boring. It gets kind of old. So be in a missional marriage. Um, Kyle and I wanted to say thank you. Um, it's been a lot of fun uh, for us, um, and I think I could safely say we've learned uh, more than any of you have um, mm-hmm. throughout the past four weeks as we've been talking about friendship and dating and engagement uh, and marriage. Uh, this has uh, caused some interesting conversations in the Davis household. That Davis household fights. Fights? Yeah, some yes. of those two. Um, but we we love each other and we're working them out because <laughs> we're on mission <laughs> together. Um, but it's been absolutely joy for us for... Uh, for us to be able to share with you uh, things that God has been teaching us. And um, so we just want to say thanks for uh, allowing us to share our story with you. Um, let me close. And uh, will you guys thank Kyla? And um, <laughs> Let's uh, close and just uh, pray. And... Um, you know, as I'm looking at a lot of you guys, I know some of this conversation we're having tonight just it's, doesn't make sense because you're years and years away uh, from this. Uh, my prayer for you is that there, you would have an incredible amount of recall uh, to the conversation we had tonight maybe two, three years from now um, because don't have a meaningless relationship. Have a meaningful relationship, a meaningful conversation um, with the spouse with your wife, with your husband. And if you're married, uh, I hope some of this stuff hits you pretty hard because it's been hitting us hard uh, over the past uh, four weeks. God does not want you just settling for uh, an average marriage. Um, So let me just pray. God, thank you that you are good, you are kind, you are gracious. God, I thank you for... um, those qualities have been um, demonstrated to Kyla and myself over the past 10 years. God, I just uh, publicly want to say thank you uh, for giving me an incredible gift uh, in Kyla and how she has uh, dreamed with me, um, sometimes more realistically, (laughs) over the past 10 years. But thank you, God, for giving um, 
What an incredible gift she has been. And Father, if there's uh, folks here tonight who are already in conversation with one another, they have taken their vows before you. God, I pray that uh, those marriages uh, would be done better. And uh, God, I pray that those marriages would be strengthened, would be encouraged, and that uh, people who don't know who you are would see you in the midst of their marriage. And because of the way they treat one another, uh, they would want to come to know you. And Father, to those who either even got engaged this week or uh, might be months from now or years from now, God, I pray that those marriages would be done differently. Done the way that you have uh, purposed um, and called um, for what marriage should look like. God, protect all of our hearts uh, from ever growing hard towards you. And God, help uh, uh, the oneness of uh, marriages now or to be one day that uh, we would always guard uh, the oneness that uh, you have called us uh, to live in, uh, the oneness of marriage. God, we love you. Thank you for being good and gracious and loving us. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Genesis is a ministry of Hope Christian Church. We invite you to find out more by visiting our website at genesisthejourney.com.